this the first episode from series three of in bed with neil moody with me your host neil moody this is the first of a two-part episode with my first guest of this series makeup guru lisa eldridge raised in new zealand and liverpool lisa is considered as one of the most top respected makeup artists of her generation and is also an award-winning businesswoman new york times best-selling author and youtuber Her latest pop-up shop is currently open in Covent Garden, London until December 31st, 2021. And if you're listening to this later than that date, then I'm sorry that you've missed it. But there may be another pop-up shop that's appeared elsewhere. So if you want to go and check on Lisa's website, you may find some dates. Lisa gave me a tour of the shop and then we sat and chatted all things House of Eldridge. From her humble beginnings as a child collecting makeup to a department store skincare specialist and now the entrepreneur that she's become. Let's go and meet Lisa. Hi Lisa, it's lovely to see you and thanks for that tour of the shop. Oh, well, thanks for coming. Pop up. How did you like it? Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know, we've recorded a video which is available to see on YouTube and my Instagram, which is a tour of Lisa's pop-up shop in Covent Garden. That is open until December... The 31st. Yeah, the 31st. 31st. I was trying to think New Year's Eve, but of course, yeah. yeah. December 31st, yeah. 2021. But let's get straight into it, Lisa. I'm going to take you right back to your childhood. You were born in New Zealand. No, I was actually born in England and then went to New Zealand. Oh, yeah. so that's wrong on Wikipedia. Then. Oh, God, I haven't looked at Wikipedia. <laughs> so you were born here then moved to New Zealand? Yeah. What age were you when you went to New Zealand? Um, I think I might have been about nine months, something like oh, that. Oh, so really young. Yeah, I was quite a baby. And when did you move back to the UK? When I was, was I five or six, something like that. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any memories of New Zealand? Yeah, I do actually. Mm. I have some memories. I have memories of sitting on the back porch. Um, we lived outside Auckland in the middle of nowhere. Mm. I think it's quite a built up area now where, where we used to live. But yeah, we sitting on the black porch and going to the beach. We lived on Beach Road, so mm. going to the beach and the fields. And my next door neighbour, Susan, remember her? Remember sitting like drinking a you know glass of squash with her mm. on the on the porch. So yeah, I've got like fleeting memories, and I definitely remember a lot about the journey back because mm. we came back on a boat. So it was a long old journey. Oh, that must have taken yeah. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And we went all over the world. Mm-hmm. I remember getting off in sort of Fiji and having flowers put around my neck. And oh, wow. I remember it was very kind of um, organised on the boat. Like I went to school on it mm. and, or had lessons, whatever. And I remember um, going to like morning tea and afternoon tea. Like I'd run around the deck and they'd be setting up the afternoon tea or the morning tea. Yeah, I remember I had measles while I was on the bench <laughs> and I was in my cabin for ages yeah. on my own. Things like that. Why did, you, why, did you, why did your parents take you to New Zealand just out of interest? Um, because my dad always wanted to live there. Oh, yeah, he had a real hankering for it and he'd been there and he liked it. Mm. So um, my mum had never been there. So it was a kind of, I think she a new just sounded, it was a big adventure. Um, yeah, so it was 
you know, beautiful and mm. amazing as New Zealand is. It's one of my favourite places to go. And I've I don't never go very been. often. <gasps> you have to go. I've been to Australia, but I've not been to New Zealand. Oh, no. Mm. New Zealand is incredible. Mm. Like, it really is. I haven't been for quite a few years. I went, um, when did I go? Years ago, last time. Mm. And I went for quite a long time. I went everywhere. I went to see my auntie. I went to see all the family members, all in different parts of New Zealand. Mm. And... Um, just everything is incredible there. Yeah. And it's it's nice because it doesn't feel... I remember like going, taking my son swimming with dolphins and there was no queue, you know, <laughs> and doing all these amazing things. And yeah. it was just, and driving along, I drove all over South Island and did loads of wonderful adventures and everything just felt very laid back and, mm. and chilled. And amazing. yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. And so did you... Moved straight back to Liverpool. Yeah, we moved yeah. to Liverpool because, um, yeah, that's where my mum's parents were living. So we moved in with my nan, mm. who was amazing and such a big influence on me. Yeah. She was so musical. Um, I've written on my notes, actually, I think we should explain Liverpool a bit to people who maybe are listening and don't know where it is. Yeah. Because it's such a renowned city, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Known for its comedy, known for its music. Theatre. The Beatles are from there. Yes. You know, there's a lot of, like, you know, comedians, yeah. amazing comedians, because they've got mm. such a great sense of humour. Yeah, Liverpool, people are like. very friendly. Everyone chats to you. Mm. Everyone is like, you, if I go there now, I sometimes I'm like, oh, take the back, because... Oh, yeah. No one really talks like that in London, and mm. whereas there, everyone will just talk to you the whole time, which is really lovely. But I think it was a bit of a culture shock coming from New Zealand. I remember being like, this is so different, but it was quite exciting because we lived in a, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and, and suddenly we were in Liverpool, and it was all lively, and mm. there was things to do and places to go, and yeah. it was quite exciting. So at what point did you move to London, just... Um, I moved to London, really, I decided to leave school when I was, I was doing my A-levels mm. and I was probably about a year into my A-levels and I just thought, what am I doing? Why am I trying to, firstly, well my A-levels, one was art, which I was enjoying, English and biology, because they were my favourite subjects. And then I was resitting a physics GCSE. Why? 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 And I was so tortured by it. Yeah. And couldn't do it because I'm really bad at maths anyway. Mm. And um, my one of my best friends, who's still one of my best friends, her dad oh, had a beauty salon. And I just decided I was leaving school. Mm. My best friend was so annoyed with me. She's like, no, you can't abandon me. <laughs> and I was like, I don't right. think this is going to help me at all. Mm. So I started working in a beauty salon in Liverpool and that was, I thought I was going to be doing loads of makeup because I was really into makeup. There wasn't really much makeup mm. and they sent me on a course, this is so cute, they sent me on a course, I'm actually a trained esthetician, I'm Sedesco trained esthetician, oh, wow. so what I can't tell you about skin yeah. and primary lesions and vesicles and pustules and wheels <laughs> is nobody's business. <laughs> but anyway, it was actually quite interesting but there was very little makeup in it and I, I, I enjoyed working in the salon. Um, mm. Just because we had so much fun and going out every night, putting all our makeup on, going to clubs in Liverpool. Mm. So I was like, because I was the one of the youngest in my class, I was probably 16, 17 mm. maybe. But it wasn't really what I wanted to do because it was just, uh, yeah. you know, it made me realise, yeah, I just want to do makeup. And as much as I like all the facials and the skincare, mm. I like the colour the best. So, mm. so I just thought, well, I have to move to London. There's yeah. just no option. I mean, you must have felt the same. You can't yeah, really. Especially in fashion. I mean, well, yeah. Well, I began hairdressing in Birmingham at 16, but 
I realised by the time I was almost 18 that there was more out there in the hairdressing world than Birmingham could offer. Mm. That was the thing. And so chose to... I, was, I used to come to London at weekends and also my old bosses used to take us on trips to London. And I just remember being like, this is amazing. You know, because it obviously it was the 80s, early 80s, and there was so much going on in fashion and music and everything. But I just was like, this is where I need to be. Yeah, um, I think for fashion, it's... Yeah, Liverpool was never going to really no. be the right place for me. And when I was at school, when I used to say, oh, I want to be a makeup artist, they all used to say to me, well, you have to go and work at the BBC because that's the only way you yeah. can be a makeup artist. Yeah. Nobody really understood that you could do other things. Mm. So I thought, well, I don't want to do that. Yeah. you know it's not really what I'm interested in mm. so I'll have to just figure it out myself and yeah best to just get there and figure out what you want to get there <laughs> sometimes it is way through just, it yeah. yeah but you used to collect makeup didn't you like yeah. old makeup I know that you discovered your grandmother's vintage makeup didn't you like? yeah it was my mum's stuff so it was when we arrived in Liverpool mm. and living in my granny's house and um, I found like this box of makeup that had been my mum's so it was all like early 60s and because makeup then was so at that period was so childlike and so amazing really mm. all the crayons and the colours and the thing and I just thought even though I saw that my mum used to put makeup on I wasn't really interested in that makeup so much but mm. all this old stuff it was just so much nicer than the crayons that I was using and the mm. paints and I thought this is just I didn't want to put it on my own face even I just like putting it on paper Right. So I used to draw with it and like use it to colour in and you know put all the glosses on paper and see what would happen and mm. um, so I was very much into all of that stuff without realising that it was like just a fascination with colour and textures yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I was so into colours mm. like I used to walk around and just be so and, you know I could see someone's front door and remember my poor, my poor grandmother she said to me we're going to paint the house and decorate the house, but you can choose the colours. That's how amazing she was. Oh. So I remember sort of she had a the colour I chose, Victoria Plum, for her <laughs> kitchen, with this kind of like all these mad colours. She, she regretted it. it. Yeah, she probably regretted it. Um, but I was so into colour. And mm. I used to describe colour in a way that people would be like, no, you're wrong. Because so I'd say, oh, I love those yellow flowers with like all the purple like around the edge and they'd be like, they're just yellow. And I'd be like, no, but can't you see they've got like mm. all that lilac around the edge. Um, so I was very into colour and and just liked art really, like drawing, mm. like drawing faces. I was drawing faces all the time, still am when I'm on the phone. My team is that your like, doodle? Oh yeah. I yeah. got they, they, they pick them up afterwards. They said they're gonna keep them all because I'm constantly drawing faces the whole time I'm on the yeah. phone. And if I'm on the phone for long. It could be like a <laughs> <laughs> faces and you know, I love it. I love yeah. that. Oh, amazing. So when you moved to London, what did you do? What was your first job here? Well, the problem was... you need to survive. Yes, I need right? to survive. So I did it all so quickly. Like a friend of mine had already moved to London. They had this house um, in Chiswick. And she said, there's a spare room in this house. And I said, I'll take it. Mm. It's very impulsive. But I needed a job, so I thought, well, I've got this beauty cop, like this make this, or whatever it was, beauty therapy thing. Yeah, um, I've got a qualification. I've got a qualification <laughs> in beauty. Um, so yeah, so I got a job on a makeup counter, and I arrived literally on the Saturday, and I started work on the Monday. 
and I thought I'll just do this <clears throat> to pay my rent while I figure out like mm. how I'm going to do makeup and what I'm going to do. Um, so yeah, so I worked in two different places. I worked in House of Fraser on Elizabeth Arden, mm. and then I worked in Harrods, sorry, Harrods mm. Lancome counter, which mm. is mad because I'm the global creative director now. I was say, what a complete yeah, 360 it's there. It's such a 360, and it's weird because. When I was working in the Longcom counter in, in in Harrods, they had like a little makeup room, mm-hmm. which is why I asked to go and work there because they used to do a lot of makeup. So I thought, well, while I'm, and I was testing by then, like doing makeup, you know, free stuff mm-hmm. and getting to know people and like doing some models makeup and stuff. So I thought, just the more makeup you do, the better you get. So mm-hmm. and what was good about being on a counter and I wasn't there that long but what's good about it is that you put makeup on everyone from like 18 to 80 yeah you've got all different skin tones you've got all different skin types you and you just learn about people and how to mm. react around them and how to be with people and mm. quite good training quite good training because you do a lot and you're kind of right up in people's faces so it's mm. really good to get that understanding of how to yeah. behave really anyway I remember I was used to sometimes say to people, like I'd do their makeup and I'd write down everything that they should get. And then when we got to the counter, I remember I would say, oh, that's good for that. And then they may have asked me, like they wanted something different. And I'd be like, oh, and that other thing you want, they've actually got it on that other counter. <laughs> but I got caught doing it. <laughs> I got caught. So somebody, the manager heard me saying it. So she told me. Recommending them, another brand, you mean? Yeah. Yeah which I thought was like a really nice thing to do and would keep loyalty with this person that come to buy makeup from me. If I said, these are all great, and then, um, oh, you, you also wanted whatever it was, I don't know, um, something that we definitely didn't have. Yeah. You know, I know they've got that over there. Anyway, they sent the like head, the area manager in, and she's quite scary. She was a bit like, you know, she had this like helmet head and suit on, and it was all a bit kind of corporate and frightening. And she said, um, I need to speak to you. you know, I've, I've heard rumours that you've sent people to other counties. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Give me your wrists. I said, Only if we didn't have like 100%, we didn't have it. And I, you know, and I was already like, She said, Well, you're spending an awful lot of time just mm. doing makeup, like not selling. You're doing a lot of makeup. She said, You know, somebody mentioned that you actually you're doing makeup, like as, mm. as a makeup artist as well. So I said, Yeah, I am. And she said, well, you know, you shouldn't really be doing that. And I said, well, I am, because I'm going to be like a big, big makeup artist. I was so like, yeah. so like arrogant, in a way, I'm not meaning it. I was like, I'm going to be a huge makeup artist. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, maybe this is not the right kind of you know, place for you. Maybe you need to move to another character. So I was like, okay. So I had to leave there and I had to quickly get another job. So I kind of, there was an agency that had people I went in and they said, can you do reception? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, Look, actually, there's a job in this architect's office. And I thought, that sounds really nice. I can mm. test at the weekend. You know, I can keep my makeup career going. And um, I went to the interview. They really liked me. They said, can you do a switchboard? I said, yes. <laughs> and I kind of rocked out on the first day. And there was 123 lines. <laughs> it was horrendous. I'll never forget that. I was so... I was so tense from my shoulders <laughs> to my ears for the whole day. Was it like an old switchboard? No, it wasn't. Like, it was like, uh, no, it wasn't one of those. It was like a computerised <laughs> You had to connect 123 <laughs> lines. 
<laughs> it was so bad. But I picked it up really quick. Mm. So within two days, I could do it. Mm. And then that was great. So then I was testing like at weekends. Then I started taking lots of days off because, I, you know, you start to build up your portfolio mm. and people ask for you. And then there was like a little test on a Wednesday. So I had to ring in sick. <laughs> and eventually the woman said, oh, you taking a lot of days off I said I know I'm actually want to be a makeup artist (laughs) so she said you better leave I said I will and then I went and got a job um, just as a temporary Mm. like a temp receptionist and that was what took me right through to being able to support myself in makeup because they would ring you in the morning and say oh um, an ad agency needs a receptionist like three days and I'd be like yeah I can do that and and the money was really good so it was great you know and I was able to do that right Mm. until I took the leap of faith that okay I can make money enough money out of makeup now and that takes a good few you know a couple of years I was doing that for a couple of years like slowly knocking it down Mm. and how did you make money while you were doing your hair well I always worked in a salon oh yeah yeah which luckily as a hairdresser you have that obviously as I started to work more on a freelance basis and have to keep dipping out of the salon and I was really lucky because there was a salon I worked at in Covent Garden because I was at Tony and Guy when I first started going doing freelance stuff and I knew that they weren't going to be happy about me keep phoning in and going I can't come in today so I went back to a salon that I used to work at in Covent Garden called Zoo and they were amazing because uh, Tony who used to run it was like you just come and go as you please, Lou. We're just happy that you're here doing oh, hair so when you come nice. here. And so, yeah, and that was what actually kept me going because, because you know, in the beginning, I wasn't making that much money. Mm. And like you say, testing and doing things and free editorials. So... They didn't um, never earn any money. money. No. And, you know, doing, like, helping out, assisting or anything. You never mm. got any money. No. So you always needed a job of yeah. some description. And obviously, being a hairdresser as well, you know, you get the, you do get the opportunity to do people's hair at home. Mm. So there wasn't really you know, a makeup industry like now. I think people can do brides, you know, go and work mm. in sort of. You can get your makeup done here a lot more now. Yeah, people do get yeah. their makeup done. It's a lot easier. Yeah, it's I think, a lot easier. It? I think. Yeah. But I think as hairdressers, we had it easier to make money. There's always a way to make money doing hair. Right yeah, from the onset, oh, right? people always need their hair done. Yeah, exactly. So what would you say was your first big break? Um, I think there was like little things that happened, you know, little things all build up. Yeah. I think that um, I went to Milan for a few months, you know, testing, and that was really good because I met a lot of people there and it was just a really good thing to do. And when I got back from Milan... I had never really assisted, so I sort of just tested on my own, but not really assisted anybody. Mm. And um, I decided to do a bit of assisting. So what well, I assisted Lucia actually did some really? with Lucia, Lucia mm. Peroni. I assisted Linda Cantello, and I assisted Mary Greenwell. Mary Greenwell was the one that I went to her agent, and I went in and I took my portfolio that I'd built up. You know, mm. it's mainly all tests. I've one tear sheet by then one set of tear sheets which was from Milan mm. and that's like my first kind of tear sheets and I went in and she said well, your book's really good and you seem like you know you should be doing it on your own why do you want to assist she said you don't need to assist don't don't mm-hmm. assist and I said well I want to because like I've never really been on that level of job before yeah 
a big supermodel walks in or a big celebrity walks in. I mean, I'm sure you just treat them the same as everyone else, but I'd like to... You like, feel prepared. To be, be prepared for it. Mm. And she said, that's quite a good... Yeah, that's really good. You know, she mm. said, well, that's no problem. So I did like a season with Mary in... I think I did a season in London, a season in Paris with Mary. I think that was it. And that was really good. You know, that was just interesting. And then you do see that actually you just treat mm. those people the same. And it was just, yeah. it's just, but it's just nice to sort of gives you that confidence. Mm. And then at the end of that season, somebody said to me, oh, I think Mary Greenwell's agent wants to take you on. And I almost couldn't believe it because it was such a small agency. It was Sam McKnight, Guido, um, Diane Kendron, Mary, there was about six people in this agency and they were all like major. Yeah, and then they rang me up, the agency, and they said, can you come in? And I was so freaked out, I said, I'm kind of busy at the moment. Because <laughs> I was so nervous. Not right now, no. <laughs> I said, I can't this week because I'm kind of working and busy, which actually I was, but I, I was all flustered and I yeah. said, I can't. Anyway, I went in two weeks later when I was, you know, had time. And then she's like, well, we really love your book. We've been talking here, you know. Mary said you were great and and you, sh you should come with us. Mm. And that was it. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'd worked a lot. I've done a lot of, you know, 6 a.m. free yeah. jobs in the Isle of Dogs by then, you know. <laughs> I've had years of that, so it wasn't like Dance it was happening. In canvas stands. I've been in canvas stands at 5 a.m. Yeah. Enough time, so I didn't feel, I felt like I was ready. It wasn't like mm. I just... So, so that was it. And then once I got with them, what it was agency was great. that? It was Debbie Walters. Oh, that was Debbie. Yeah, it was Debbie Walters. It was a really small agency. Yeah, I can't remember all the people had, but everyone was really good. Laurie Starrett was there. Yeah, it was all really nice people, good mm. people. And then I was their sort of baby. So the first kind of big job I got, well, I did, I did um, Cindy Crawford. That must have been because Mary wasn't available, and they mm. suggested me because I wouldn't have got that. And then I did a few things with her, and then I did my first big thing, I guess, was uh, the cover of the face in Paris with David Sims, Anna Coburn, and Guido, and Amber Valletta. So that was like my first mm. kind of big job, if you yeah, like, editorially yeah. wise, anyway. Mm. And then that was, and then major. after that, I was pretty major. <laughs> So after that, then it kind of takes off, doesn't it? I think once yeah. you've shown that you can do it once, then you do it again. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it gives trust in other other people then to think that they can trust you, don't they? Because it's sort of like, oh, well, they worked with so-and-so. Because I think that's how it works in this industry, doesn't it? It's all about people seeing who you work mm. with and who's given you the opportunity, especially in the early days of your career. And then they kind of go, okay, so they've done work with them, so they must be okay. Yeah, exactly. And if you get rebooked with that person again, then it's even better because yeah, then... because they know that you're trustworthy, you're good, you understand the brief, you're going to yeah. be, you know, you're in the that world. They mm. understand. Yeah. They understand what's, which way's up. And I remember that shoot so well. It was in Paris and they played that Blur, that Blur, it must have been the week that Blur album came out, so it's like 96, is it 95? Mm -hmm. And it was that album, um, you know. The first the one that they did. Girls Will We Boys, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, that yeah, album yeah. had just come out. Yeah. So it was really a Britpop moment, and they we just played that all day, and she was like dancing on set. And that was back in the day when we just had CDs at work, wasn't it? Yeah, probably, yeah. And you just used to play the same one over and over again. Same one, yeah. Yeah, and it was really great. Yeah. 
obviously from then your career went on and sort of just got bigger and bigger. Yeah, so that must have been when I met you, 96. Yeah, it was. Uh, 96 and I've actually written down, because I did my first ever trip to LA with you. Did you? Yeah, the first time I went to LA was with you. And we were working, I think, with Regan Cameron. And I think it was for a lure, I think. And you introduced me to Ray Allington. Oh, yeah. The hairdresser Ray. Yeah. We went to his house because I was obsessed oh, yeah, I remember with Ray. That. I do remember that. Do you remember? Yeah. You said to me, we, were, we finished work, and you said, Neil, I'm going to go meet my friend Ray. Do you want to come? And I was like, Ray, Ray, Ray. And you went, Ray Allington, the hairdresser. And I remember being like, oh my God, because he was one of my hair heroes from, you know, when I, was, when I started yeah. out hairdressing. And yeah, and we went to his house, and I remember just being like, I remember that flat? Yeah, yeah, that apartment, that like, huge apartment, Somerset, yeah. yeah. Oh God, yeah, no, Ray was amazing. Um, just so lucky to work with him. More towards the end of his career, I didn't know him sort of early on, but just he was hilariously funny. He I remember him being really funny that time. And if I was working with him, you just knew you were going to have so much fun. He, mainly forgot his kit <laughs> so what he used to do i used to walk into the studio in the morning and the first thing he'd do is feel the back of my head and what he'd be feeling for is did i have any grips looking for his kit and he'd, he'd start feeling like i used to wear my hair tied back a lot then and I, so i'd have like a scrunchie or a you know a mm. hairband and maybe two grips or a slide or something and he'd be like great yeah he'd literally take the stuff off my head and but then he'd do the most amazing hair and I used to mm. watch him and I would just be like my mind would be blown mm. like with one comb he could do and two grips <laughs> he'd literally <laughs> do your hair. my hair he could literally do anything any yeah. any hairstyle and he was just he was so funny he used to make me laugh so much mm. um, where was he from was he Manchester Manchester yeah so yeah. he had a real kind of northern sense of humour he was just and he, he, he'd seen it all he knew everyone mm. and we just used to we used, he was so dry he didn't laugh but he was the driest man yeah. I've ever met and we just used to be in hysterics the whole time yeah we used to do all kinds he was of such a legend wasn't he it's a shame yeah. he left us too early really in a way bless him yeah yeah you know? I wanted to ask you, obviously, now that you've, at that point, so many great people, um, how would you describe yourself as a makeup artist at that point? Because there was, I've heard one photographer, and there's somebody that we both know, and they said to me that your work is one of the easiest to retouch because it's so flawless. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. And I always, I'm, I always wonder how, like, as a makeup artist, how would you describe I know you've said earlier that you like colour and everything, mm. but um, is there anything else that you're into? Because obviously hearing that made me realise, my God, Lisa's obviously really into skin and yeah. skin looking amazing yeah. and flawless. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm, yeah, I do like working with the skin. I like working with natural face shapes and things like that. I mean, I, I do manipulate a little bit, but it depends what the job is, doesn't it? Yeah. But do you but, prefer skin without foundation on or...? It depends what the job is. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing a red carpet, you've got to do foundation. It's more polished. Mm. If you're doing an editorial, then if you've got good skin, then why? You don't need to. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing an editorial and they've got, you know, sometimes on editorials, I find that, you know, if you're with someone that hasn't got great skin and you know in some ways that the photographer probably prefer it without any makeup on. Mm. 
but then you know that the person is going to be so embarrassed to walk on set with those spots so you've got to yeah. become really good and I think I had acne as a teenager but only on my back so I got away with it and no one knew I had it mm. and then when I got into makeup and started testing so you know later on I suddenly developed acne on my face and I remember being so embarrassed by mm. it because um, and I had to get so good at covering it up and it was the 90s so you couldn't look like you had any makeup on yeah. so I had to become a sort of genius at what I would call retouching makeup so mm. as if you're retouching um, covering the spots you couldn't see the makeup but they were well covered yeah and I had to do that for myself for my own self-esteem because mm. you know there's I couldn't just turn up on makeup jobs with no. covered in acne. Yeah. It would have been horrendous. Um, there's only so far a polo neck and a free will take Three bangles and a polo neck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd be like, up to here, up to here, but that's good. Um, so, yeah, so I got really good at that, like, mm. skin problems. I remember, like, the first kind of musician, big musician I worked with, and she had quite bad skin. I remember me covering it all and her saying oh my god like I can't believe what you've done yeah. I don't look like I've got any makeup on but I can't see a single spot on my face mm. and um, so I guess I was good I was good at that yeah that came out of necessity I think yeah but plus I like drawing and you know I like kind of um, I love detail and drawing and all of that mm. and blending and stuff so I guess it's an extension of that as well yeah I'm quite meticulous mm. about things like that in 2003, you became creative director for Boots Number 7. Yeah. Was that your first big contract? No. no. That followed on from Shiseido. Ah, right. So my first big one was um, Shiseido. Mm. And that was just, yeah, amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I'd never done anything like that before. Yeah, so I probably... That was like the two years before, then that must have been 2001. Mm. And I had no experience of anything like that, creating products or... Mm. And they came to interview me and I was... It was the longest interview. It was like four hours at the Hempel Hotel. And there was a translator and there was like all these people in suits. And they just said, talk about yourself. So I talked about... I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. I was talking about Barbara Hepworth and how I love her sculpture, and I had photographs of all her sculptures that I'd done. Mm. And I was talking about, like, all these painters and Brancusi, and they must have been like, and I thought, oh, God, they must have been. And I got no reaction. And I thought, <sighs> I haven't really spoken about makeup, and they probably think I'm crazy. Mm. Um, and then they said, oh, we're going now to interview people in Paris, and then we're going to interview people in New York. And I was, uh, I thought, well, never mind. That was a nice day out. Yeah, lovely day, lovely day out. My favourite things. Talking about some things that I like. Mm. And then I heard that I got the job. And I was like, oh, my God, that can't be true. That can't be right. <laughs> so they said, okay, you're coming to Tokyo. Put together, you're going to create a makeup range from scratch for the Asian market. Wow. So I was like, okay. So they said, put together a presentation. So I put together a presentation. I flew over to Tokyo. Um, and it was in a, a room like with probably a hundred people in. So I did my presentation on what I would do for this makeup brand and how I would do it. And again, I didn't get any reaction. And I literally thought, oh, well, got to go to Japan. <laughs> well, it was a nice trip, you know. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. A lovely much. bit of sushi. It was lovely, you know, <laughs> amazing to get to go to Tokyo and mm. all the rest of it. Got home and then, you know, five days later, I hear 
they're blown away. In fact, the head of Shiseido has written a blank check for this makeup range. Do it. And I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> they got the right person. They got the right person. And that was it. And then I just was thrown into it. And it was the best thing because I did everything from textures, colours, packaging mm. and copywriting. Wow. So that was amazing. And I had to do a kind of... And was that a subline of Shishada? Yeah, yeah, it was a subline. And I could come up with the name as well. I came up mm. with the name of it. And it was, um, it was so fascinating because... The next time I went, they just took me around. I said, I need to kind of, you know, understand, like, the market as well. And I remember they took me on um, to all these different places. Like, we went to the suburbs of Tokyo. We went to this place where people would buy cosmetics. And it was just the most interesting, fascinating trip of going mm. to what, to me, looked like all these blocks with numbers on, like, flats with, all, like, a apartment blocks with numbers on in the middle of this makeup shop and I remember walking in and this woman kind of it's like something from a movie like mm. a Terry Gilliam movie she kind of just came up from behind the counter like full makeup and she bought me a present and and then seeing and I was like I had an interpreter with me so I was like what do people buy here what's most popular and you know and then I went to all the theatrical makeup shops and they took me to see Kabuki and I went to all these shows and so by the end of it, I had a really good handle on what people liked. And I'd yeah. ask people in the office, like, what do you wear? And I, and I was so fascinated. I was already really into makeup history and I was already collecting vintage makeup anyway. So I started, you know, buying old Japanese theatrical makeup. And, mm. and what blew me away the most was when I got my references wrong. Because I would say, well, we could add a red lip to that for a bit of glamour. And they'd be like, glamour? Tradition, you mean? And I'd be oh. like, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I'm thinking mm. with my Western head. Yeah. Um, and then another time I said, um, I had like a bright pink lipstick, like a fuchsia pink. And I was like toying with the idea of having this colour in a collection. Mm. And they all liked the colour. And I said, we could add it. I'm not really sure about it, but it could be a bit of like, like a bit flirtatious, a bit fun. And they said, mm, sort of like a colour that air hostesses would wear. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, good, yeah. to know. good to know. So that started me on like wanting to learn a lot about like mm. culture and makeup, and I always want to know like what's the difference here in Japan? Like what else is selling in in what's different in Korea? What's different in China? What's different yeah. in Taiwan? What's different in Singapore? And and actually, it's completely different, mm. you know. And I, I I love that. I love that side of my job, and yeah. I. I really fell in love then with product development and they took me to the labs the first time and it was so nice because uh, at that time well, this brand was only made in Japan in the Japanese labs so there weren't any third party mm. contractors or anything any supply um, any other makeup suppliers I went in they used to say you're really challenging us whenever I asked them to do things and I remember going in the first day and saying well I need to see like your raw materials until I can see the pigments and the pearl and they, they were like, oh, that's interesting. They gave me like little tiny pots of all what they had because they didn't have that many pearls, I remember. And I was thinking, this is really good because it's like cooking. Now I've got the ingredients. Yeah. I can make something. And because they'd say, oh, you're from England, the Beatles. And I'd be like, yes, actually, you know. At one point, I used to live in Liverpool and they loved it. They used to make me sing karaoke <laughs> with the head of Shiseido. I remember being singing on a boat, let it be. That was interesting. <laughs> And it was cool though, they were so nice and they were so friendly and I used to, 
and I'd say, yeah, well, what's your favourite song? And mm-hmm. it just everyone was so welcoming and, and, and great, and the team were just brilliant. And I was just blown away by it. I thought, this is, like, I know about the history, mm-hmm. and I've always been into that, and I know about what trends are now, like, because I was yeah. working in mainly editorial anyway, and fashion shows and stuff. I said, but this is like completed my circle of learning, mm. my cycle of learning. Now I know how it's made, how it's produced, how it's marketed, mm. how it's researched. And, you know, after that, I, it really grew in confidence, I think, as a makeup artist, because yeah. I had all of that extra knowledge that I never would have. It's had. so interesting, isn't it, when you get involved in things like that? It's like, I was laughing just then when you said about them getting used to karaoke, because I had a similar thing in Korea where. My old brand, because I used to go there, that's where all our electrical tools were made. Okay. And I used to, I've line danced in a Korean club to <laughs> Korean music, done karaoke, like all those things. And it just reminded me of that. But yeah, it's amazing when you start digging into how products are made. Mm, it's like so said, different. It's so different, isn't it? But I, I agree with you, it sort of completes your journey in a way, doesn't it? Of 100%. what you know. Because I, I, you know, I now know what goes into making a curling iron and a straightening iron and a hairdryer, you know, which yeah. most hairdressers probably don't know. And I don't mean that in a sort of like, you know, well done, Neil kind of way. Yeah. But it's just, I, I saw it happen and yeah. was in the factory. And I was, I was like, you know, I was just intrigued by the whole thing. Yeah. And kind of go, well, what does that yeah, do I, then? I was, I was asking you so many questions. Karen <laughs> 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 bored me. Did this volatile silicone we're talking about? How is that different from the one we used yesterday? Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, this woman. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they, like you say, they love it though, in no, a way, don't they? They, they do love it because I think. You know, for them, our world is so different to theirs anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I think they're intrigued by our world as much as we are with theirs. Yeah. So, because yeah. I realised that in Korea and, you know, that they were... I also went to China and stuff as well, which was interesting. <laughs> Going to factories in China, um, couldn't speak a word. Of, I mean, I don't speak they any Korean, take, but... I had an interpreter, but I actually realised that they weren't that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember sort of asking questions, and then they'd sort of talk for about ten minutes. It's like, blah, 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 blah. and then they go, mm. "He said no." <laughs> oh, okay. That took a long time to get a no, but, you know, because yeah. I'd say something like, "Is it possible to do this with the iron?" And he said no. <laughs> It's made me laugh. I used to laugh, chuckle to myself in my head. Yeah, try and, I, I used to try and speak as much Japanese as I could, but like you'd be just oh, getting it wrong. And yeah. I, I, I really wanted to learn it. And just the basics, obviously, you yeah. never learn it properly. Yeah. And I was so into Japanese culture anyway. So I was like, I really need to speak. Like, and I, I would try. They were so nice with me. They'd be so kind, <laughs> like correcting me all the time. <laughs> so does that brand still exist? No, no, that run doesn't exist. They right. decided to... It went for quite a long time and then they decided to streamline it. So right. just have less brand. Mm. They have a lot mm. less than they had at that point. They come up to me and say, I've got your concealer or I've got oh, your really? highlighter stick. Yeah. In fact, yeah, only the other week. Um, and I hadn't seen it for such a long time. Yeah. Um, Lisa Sanchez said, I still use your highlighter from your Japanese range. Really? She said, it's so good. Yeah. Amazing. And then you went to Boots number seven. 
So you were then responsible for yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, you? I think you the know. traveling was you got to be a little bit much. Going mm. to, I used to go, you know, to Japan. Yeah, to go to Japan a lot, and mm. then it just wasn't really. Um, and then I got somebody asked me on a, I forget what it was. Somebody said, "Oh, do you know any good makeup artist that would be able to?" Refresh boots number seven, mm. and I didn't think they met me, so I said, "Well, you're going to need somebody with a really good handle on the history because mm. it's such a heritage brand, mm. um, and you're probably going to need someone with someone with experience in product development as well because mm. they made a lot in house as well." I said, "But uh, let me have a think. That's quite challenging. But like, let me. I'll, have, I'll get back to you with some names." Mm. And then when I got back home, my agent said, "Oh." They were with you that they want. They were just sounding you out. Right. So I thought, well, that's interesting because my brand, my Shiseido brand, was a very expensive, mm. high-end, you know, luxury brand. Yeah. And I thought well, the next thing would be to do high something street. high street, mm. you know, because it's a very different offer. It's a very different challenge. Mm. So I just went. I rang them up and I said, I heard that it's me that you'd quite like. <laughs> so. Um, I just said to Shiseido, you know, I've been offered this thing, and they, they said, well, I think I just did like three months more or something, and then mm. I think they crossed over a little bit at the beginning, mm. and then um, and then I was able to do that. Mm. And then that was great, because they were just on the verge of a relaunch, so I arrived about 18 months before a relaunch, which is mm. obviously the, a great thing to do. Yeah. And the first thing I did was said, can I get in your archives? And we didn't have any archives then. They do now. And I said, you're crazy. Mm. And it was this room that was just papers on the floor. And I went through, I said, God, there's amazing ads here. You've got so much good stuff. You mm. have to make use of this. But that was really good because I got to see like everything they'd done before. And then I could think about what a relaunch could kind of look like. Yeah. And I wanted to launch into the States as well and the Middle East. So mm. that interested me because, again, it was that designing products for different regions. Yeah. And yeah, so I oversaw all of that. You know, I was like global creative director and it was a lot, a lot, a lot of product, mm. um, a lot of new products. We did Protect and Perfect, which became such a massive seller. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Did all the launches in mm. the States. We launched into Walgreens. I went there for the launch of that. Um, and it was just completely different. Yeah. Just completely different. I remember you experience. gave me some of the products, number seven, and it was mm. never anything I would have considered buying before. Yeah. But I remember being like, oh my God. And in a way, that was like one of my first introductions to skincare because. I was so low maintenance, I didn't really do anything. And then you were like, Neil, you need to start wearing moisturiser. <laughs> <laughs> like, my skin's dry. And you were like, yeah, try wearing moisturiser. And you gave me the, it was an, I think it was the protective protect effect. Yeah, protect yeah. Which perfect. is really, really good. Yeah. And it yeah. was, I remember being like, oh my God, this has changed my life. Yeah. But also, it's affordable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But do you think doing that high street versus high end, did you learn? different things from the high street side. Yeah, completely yeah. different. Mm. I mean, totally different. You've got, you know, your, your margins and all of that is different yeah. and you've got to bring things in at a much lower budget but mm. make it good. And So in a way, it was harder Yeah. because you want to make it look really good. Um, you want, you know, so you want it to be packaged nicely. You want mm. it to be all of those things and exciting and, and you know, bring in all your vision. Um, but keep it, you know, the right price, so yeah, I'd get a lot of kickback on certain things or ingredients. And ingredients, and right? Yeah. Be like, oh, no. But for the most part, I think you know it was a, it was pretty good. 
Mm. Definitely good training again. Yeah. Um, fantastic to see, really. The kind of people that would buy number seven as well, it was such a great lot of people because it was everyone. Mm. Like, it's just such a British kind of institution and yeah. everyone would know it. Everyone well, would wear it. Is, isn't it? Boots, boots so is just yeah. such a... So that, that was all really interesting for me. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Only a train to Nottingham. Exactly. Wasn't like going to Tokyo. As well, much as I missed Tokyo, which I really did. Yeah. It was just much easier on my lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And probably on your brain and everything, really, right? Yeah, jet lag. Yeah. Good. So I'm going to whiz ahead now a little bit to 2009 when you took on. I don't know if say challenge is the right word, but you decided to do the TV show Ten Years Younger. End of part one. Part two, where Lisa talks about starting her YouTube journey and onwards, is available to listen to now. You can follow Lisa and her amazing career on her Instagram account at Lisa Eldridge Makeup, and you can watch her amazing tutorials on her YouTube channel, Lisa Eldridge. For any updates, you can go to lisaeldridge.com, and as I mentioned, the pop-up shop is currently open in Covent Garden Piazza until December 31st, 2021. By the way, there is a unique podcast episode now available that has been filmed for my YouTube channel, Neil Moody, called Mind in the Gap, Male Suicide Awareness, where I'm talking with my guests, Tom Chapman, world-renowned barber and founder of the charity Lions Barber Collective, who specialises in training barbers and hairdressers to recognise mental health issues in clients, and Rosie Tapner, model-turned-TV presenter, who is the ambassador for the well-being of women and children's air ambulance. We are discussing the importance of continuing to raise male suicide awareness especially within certain communities where it's still a taboo subject series one and two of in bed with neil moody are also available on all podcast platforms and remember to subscribe to be notified of any up-and-coming episodes thanks for listening